0: And I think the second point to this question is that they've got so many brownie points in the bank, so their credit, if you like, with the Danish people is so high, so bountiful, that even if you know they lost a couple of coins from this particular episode, no one was bothered one bit.
1: I think it's fairly safe to say that we might just about get a, a silver jubilee for him, but we certainly won't have a golden jubilee or anything more. And And the same in Denmark, we will never have a... A golden jubilee for King Frederick
2: X. Hi everyone, we're back with another series fresh for the new year of a Right Royal podcast with me, Andrea. And me, Emmy. In this week's episode, we're kicking it off with the biggest royal story of the year so far. Yes, we barely finished The
3: Tin of Quality Street and we're already knee deep in royal drama. Well, the British royals can breathe a sigh of relief as it's the Danish royal family that everyone's talking about. And if you have no idea what we're getting at, let us fill you in. So,
2: on New Year's Eve, as everyone was getting ready to bid 2023 farewell, Queen Margareta II of Denmark announced live on air during her New Year's speech that she would be abdicating in favour of her elder son, Prince Frederick. So why was this such a big shot? Well, she'd always said that she would never abdicate,
3: and not only that, that there is not a hint of a rumour that she would ever have been stepping down.
2: We've since also heard that she only told her son, Frederick, three days before she made the announcement to the world. The last two weeks have been a whirlwind and today we're taking a deep dive into Margareta's shock decision and the accession of Frederick.
3: Yes, we'll be speaking to three incredible guests, starting with royal journalist Vim de who has interviewed the Danish Queen in the past and covered the big event in Copenhagen this past weekend. We'll also be speaking to the wonderful Joe Little, Managing Editor of Majesty Magazine, who'll be sharing his knowledge of all things
2: abdication. And Chris Shipp, who is ITV News' Royal Editor who is dialing in from Copenhagen. But without further ado, here comes the Royal Editor who we hope never abdicates, (laughs) Queen of Hello, Emily Nash.
4: Hello, Emily! So I've got something to announce.
2: What? What? We expected at least three days' notice, (laughs) Emily. I like to go live. You know, Danish tradition. Are you grateful that you are not a member of the Danish press and that you did not have to cover this six pm on the last day of the year?
4: I would have been a little bit put out. I think to be fair,
2: I would have been really not happy.
4: (laughs) But what a story! I mean. On the one hand, yes, it's a bit of a shock and a lot to get their heads around. But on the other hand, it's all done.
2: I know, it's done. It was quick. And actually, the past two weeks have actually been really exciting. We've been covering the Danish royal family. We've looked back at the best years, the revolution, you know, the kids, Prince Henrik. It's just been really good. And now it's done.
4: I think it's been a really interesting example of how you can do things in a very modern, administrative, low-key way. And I'm sure it's something that our royal family has been keeping a very close eye on, that we know William doesn't want quite the same level of pomp and circumstance that his father had, for example. So it'll be really interesting in future to see if they've taken any cues from it. And for me, what really stood out is that it's also been quite a lot more humane than the accessions we've seen in this country because Frederick's taking the throne as a man who has his mother still there in the background Mm. to support him, to guide him. Um, He's not dealing with grief. He's not dealing with... Having to make a huge transition of properties and of estates and all the kind of things that our King Charles had to do when the late Queen died. And I think looking to the future, this is a really good modern example of how to do it.
2: I do feel that it's not possible, though, with our royal family, because, you know, Charles became king in his 70s. Well, yeah, but why not? Why couldn't they well, in the same way? Well, because he's been waiting all his life for this moment, and I, I don't think—I so mean, Frederick. I wouldn't—I wouldn't give it up so quickly. Now it's his time to really shine. I no, don't but know. no. But if we're
4: talking hypotheticals here, but yeah, yeah, if there yeah. came a time. Where he was unwell. Oh, yeah. Or where he just decided, you know, I've given it a good long shot. Yeah. uh, It's time to hand over the baton. Who knows? I mean, it's something I'm dying to ask our
3: guests. Yes. I think you're right, though, Emily. I think William will definitely be taking notes. Can
2: we still get our bank holiday, though? I mean, I'm good with a low-key celebration. That's the main question that I'm interested in. I I do like a good bank. Hang
3: on. Our bank holiday yeah, had never but, worked so hard yeah, in my that's life. that's true, that's true.
2: <laughs> those don't exist for us.
4: <laughs> well, look, no one is wishing for another accession in no, this country anytime, anytime soon. soon. No, touch
2: wood. But I do love the fact that the last abdications we've seen with the Netherlands, Spain, and obviously now Denmark, I do love that those former heads of states are still here, they're still witnessing the new reign, and they can help. You know, help the new kings and queens get to grips with the whole role. Yeah. Our oh, poor late queen, she was great, but it would have been nice to see her seeing King Charles kind of flourish in his new role.
4: Yeah. It's something that would have been absolutely anathema to Queen yeah. Elizabeth II because of what the previous yeah. abdication did to her father, you know. Yeah. And certainly the queen mother blamed the stress of all that yeah. on her father's early death. So there was never a question of her doing it. But I do wonder in future, and even if we're not talking about an abdication, just the accession ceremony, it would have to be a bit more in this country because obviously William is going to become head of the Church of England, so there will have to be a religious element. But I think it was really stylishly done, but not over the top, and it felt quite relevant.
2: Now, it was our weekend off. We weren't working, but... We're working. Our WhatsApp group, What's On Fire? Because we were watching the live stream. We were watching it all happen. What was your favourite moment, Emily?
4: For me, the moment I found really moving, well, there were two. Obviously, there was the Queen saying, God save the King, to her son. Mm. And just that look of affection and pride from her was really moving. But then seeing him on the balcony on his own, weeping. Yeah, Yeah.
3: very emotional. I
4: guess you can never prepare for that moment when you're the main man. And you could see that whole realisation on his yeah. face. And I found that really touching to watch. Do
3: you think, not to be weird, do you think it was spooky for Margareta? Like she was witnessing her own
2: <laughs> funeral or something? No, I think Margareta was happy. I think she is... if you follow i think her, get in my own head. No, I think if you follow her on Instagram, she loves arts and crafts and everything. She loves... Doing all these things. I bet she's just happy.
4: She's a really interesting character, and I think she's someone who is not short of plans for her retirement.
2: So I can't wait to see. Yeah, absolutely. And her sister's a best friend. They'll have the best time together. How old is she? Sorry. 83. Emily, now you've been in the same room as Princess Mary, and actually. Same room as Princess Mary and Princess of Wales. Well, I think you'll find is she's Queen Mary now, Andrea. Oh, Queen Mary. I can't get you. It's, should, it's it's just all too, <laughs> It's just all been too By sudden. Her correct title. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how that was, how that moment was. Yeah, so
4: going back a couple of years, the Princess of Wales went to Denmark uh, to highlight her early years' development work, something obviously she's hugely passionate about. And she spent quite a lot of time with Mary. And I covered an engagement they did together to a kind of refuge for women and families and children going through uh, domestic abuse. And it was at the Dana Centre in Copenhagen. And I was so impressed by Mary. Now, she's obviously Australian, but she was just flitting between English and Danish. Wow. uh, You know, with no effort whatsoever, really smart, totally clued up. And some of the work she was doing there was really similar to the kind of thing that Kate has been involved in, So really looking out for children's mental health and I thought it was obviously much more than just lip service she writes a personal postcard to every child that ends up in this refuge and it's to kind of give them a vote of confidence because if the then future queen of Denmark believes in you and wants you to have a good new start then you know that's inspiring, especially in a country where the monarchy is a really big deal. So I was really impressed by her. And she and Kate have got a lot in common, you know, not just from the fashion point of view, but they both come from outside the royal family. They've both become hugely popular and they are behind some really interesting causes. So I'd love to see them working closely together again in future.
2: Yeah, me too. They seem like they're natural friends. Now back then obviously they were both princesses but did you get another feeling when seeing Mary? Because she has obviously been getting ready for the last 20 years, which is nearly a decade more than Kate. Did you get a different feeling, like she was more ready to be queen. And monarch. Yes. Well, look, I think she's in the stage of her life
4: where her children are older. She has been able to expand on her interests while they're at school. I think we're gonna see that from Kate much more in the yeah. in the coming years. But she's just had a ten year lead, if you like. Yeah. So she's where Kate will be in a few years' time. Yeah. It's a very different setup to the UK, you know, the royals in Denmark are a lot less formal. I think they're able to go out in public with a bit less fanfare. And certainly members of the media in Denmark will just ask questions of royals on engagements, which is something that doesn't happen in the UK. Yeah. In fact, I was asked about it on this trip I to wish. Denmark. Why why won't you ask them questions? And look, I think it is different for our royals because there is so much scrutiny from all around the world. And also, quite frankly, because unless they want to stop and say something, it's not really fair to the people they're visiting or the cause that they're highlighting. Mm -hmm. So there are different approaches, but I think that William and Kate will certainly be looking to Frederick and Mary and watching how it all goes down. So
1: interesting.
3: Well, we're actually being joined today by a journalist who spoke to Margareta about her Stepping down one day, her future plans, and she said that she was never going to abdicate, so did a real 180 for poor Vim, but let's see what he has to say about it and about Frederick and
2: Mary taking up the position of king and queen. Welcome to the podcast, Vim. We're so excited to have you on our podcast today, Vim. I just want to know, what was your reaction to Margareta's abdication? Because that was a bombshell.
5: It was a shock. (laughs) <laughs> Even for <from> me, <laughs> because I interviewed her a few years ago. And um, at that moment, I asked her, what about change of throne? Because in a few years earlier, we had it in the Netherlands, in Belgium, my country, in Spain. So I wanted to know her opinion about it. But at that moment, I knew what the answer would be. That's what she uh, told me. In Denmark, we don't have a tradition of handing over and we stay as long on the throne as we live. So that's why it was a real shock for me and for, many da- for all Danish people, I think so, that she announced her abdication in her New Year's address. I have a lot of uh, Danish friends and Queen Margaret is an icon here. Uh, everybody loves her, she's well respected. And on New Year's Eve, I was texting with them about their feelings and they told me we love her so uh, much. We will miss her for me and for them. It was a bombshell. <laughs>
3: And you've just witnessed history being made because you were there for the accession of Frederick and Mary. I mean, tell us all about it.
5: (laughs) Tell us all about it. Um, (laughs) I had a very good position, first of all. I was accredited in one pool. And when Queen Margaret entered Christiansborg, the center of power in Denmark, and where the parliament is situated and where she did the abdication, I saw her only a few meters away from me driving in a carriage, uh, even the then crown prince and crown princess. So that was also already a very special moment, realizing that in a few moments later, she would uh, abdicate and Frederick would become the new king. And afterwards, I went to the middle of the square, the Christiansborg Square, to witness this special moment when Frederick entered the balcony and he was proclaimed the new uh, king so I was surrounded by 10,000 of uh, Danish people according to some media here I read uh, today that there were 150,000 wow. uh, Danish people I couldn't move but at that moment I didn't care about it, it was so cold uh, it was freezing <laughs> I witnessed a very special moment in uh, Danish history and also in in the history of the European monarchy.
2: I wanted to ask how the atmosphere was. Was there sadness because Margareta was leaving, or was it just happiness that you know Frederick and Mary were taking over? Like, what did you see on the ground?
5: I didn't feel sadness, only a lot of joy. Oh. But first of all, maybe interesting to mention, I arrived on Thursday night and had the opportunity to discover Copenhagen for two days, and I noticed that there was not much much. In the city, you didn't see memorabilia, uh, no posters, no pictures. Only on a few places in some shops, I saw pictures of Queen Margrethe and the new king and uh, queen. So I was very surprised by this because I was also in London for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth and for the coronation of King Charles. And the first impression when I was in, in London was all shops were full of pictures and
4: we like to make a we love a tea towel <laughs> we had we had more time to plan we had more time to plan <laughs> yes of course
5: but in Copenhagen if you didn't know there was this special moment you wouldn't notice it but everything changed uh, on Sunday so there was a lot of uh, joy in the in the city center all people with Danish flags and with crones on their head special moments
2: Out of all the moments, because I obviously watched the live feed, it was very moving. I just want to know what the top moment do you think was for everyone? You know, we had... Incredible moment when Margareta signed, left her seat to her son and said those last Mm. words, God save the king. We had that kiss in the balcony. I don't know if that was surprising or not. It was all very emotional. And I would like to know what you think the top moment was for you or the Danes.
5: Afterwards, I saw this picture when Margareta left the room. Yes, You see her with her walking stick and uh, Frederick was still on the table. So he was a new king. And for me, that was a very moving uh, moment, a very moving picture. So I think this is one of the highlights, but of course for me, because I was live in Copenhagen in front of the balcony, the balcony scene was uh, very moving. I noticed that uh, people were very enthusiastic when uh, Frederick entered the balcony. But especially when Queen Mary joined him, uh, well, everybody got insane. So at that moment, I really realized that Mary was the real star of the Danish monarchy. I already noticed it in chats with the Danish friends that she uh, has been maybe the most popular member of the royal family. But at that moment, yesterday in front of Christiansborg, I realized she's the big star. And of course, when, when they kissed each other, everybody went crazy. Yeah, That's yeah. A
2: <laughs>
5: royal kiss. Everybody loves it, and I think it was spontaneous. They didn't plan it. Mary took the initiative. We uh, rewatched the images, and people asked for it: kiss, kiss, kiss. So
2: uh, <laughs> of course we don't <laughs> understand
5: they, they Danish, Danish,
3: so it's nice what's, to know what, what was kiss traffic? in Danish.
5: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <Six> <laughs> and I try to speak English. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I know a few uh, Danish words and tak is one of them. It means thank you. And I heard a lot of tak. Uh, Margrethe. Thank you, Queen Margaret So uh, I think that's the most important word to know in uh, Danish Tak. Okay.
2: That is so sweet. I do want to know your opinion. This, obviously, decision, we've learned so many details since New Year's Eve. And we've learned recently, and it's been confirmed by the palace, that Frederick mm-hmm. only found out three days before she actually told the whole world. It just feels very sudden. Or was it just like yeah. the best kept secret for months and she just waited? Or was it more sudden than we think it was? You know, why? Why?
5: First of all, it was shocking just realizing three days before... Uh, your life's um, going to change forever. ...that your life will change. Yeah. But of course, Frederick is prepared for this role for yeah. many years. Uh, I remember my interview with Queen Margarete and I also asked her something about crown Prince Frederick. And at that moment she told me Frederick, as long as he lives, of, of course he became a crown prince at the age of three, but as long as he can remember, he is a crown prince and he's well prepared yeah. uh, for his next role as monarch. So... It's not from one moment to another that your life is changing. Of course, it's now in an official way, but um, um he's well prepared and his mother has a lot of... He really trusts him, I believe, and he's very proud of him. But it's, of course, it's shocking uh, just to realize that there's only three days in between realizing that you'll become the king and your mother announcing it uh, yeah. to the public. Because I'm from Belgium, we had also a change of throne. 10 years ago and at that moment I uh, found out I was informed that our King Philip was informed for three months before and I thought this is only three months it's shocking it's not enough to be prepared uh, yeah, for yeah. this big change and three days it's, it's nothing even less so <laughs> ah. um,
3: he must have been so excited. He must have been like, not "Oh, being I, able don't, to sleep I don't, I don't know if excited uh, is the word." Yeah, but it, that must have been three nights awake. Oh yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, sleepless so night. Nice. Surely didn't get a lot of sleep. And did you notice that he was very emotional? Yes, he was really yes. emotional. Yeah. yeah, on the balcony, he was really, mm-hmm. you know, crying. Quite there's openly. a. Behind Are the we scene? thinking with
3: happiness? Yeah, he looked. He looked yeah. really
4: touched. I don't know what your impression was of him, but I got the impression that he was really moved by the affection from the crowd. I heard a
5: lot of news about it, that a lot of people would come to Copenhagen, for example. All tickets of the trains and domestic flights were sold out. All hotel rooms in Copenhagen were full booked. So before Sunday, we already could realize that a lot of people would come to Copenhagen to attend this event. But when you're on the balcony and see all those people full packed, this has to be very moving. And realizing that all people are enthusiastic about uh, you becoming the new monarch of uh, Denmark
4: and what the other lovely thing about it of course is that when our current king acceded to the throne he was mourning the death of yeah. his mother the yeah. whole cu- the whole nation was in mourning but like you say this was a really happy moment in denmark because yeah. margrethe's there she's still in good health and, you know, there's no sadness involved. No.
5: In, in good health, of course, she's still physically okay. But, for example, yesterday she had to use her walking stick. She mm-hmm. had the back surgery last year. And she's an 83-year-old woman. But physically, she has a few problems. But mentally, she's still uh, in yeah, good yeah, shape. Yeah. Yeah.
2: She's going to have the best retirement.
5: Yeah. <laughs> and Yesterday, I chatted with some uh, uh, local Danish people to interview them for the TV news. And they told me, OK, we will miss her, but she will be still in our life. Yeah. Because it's a good thing. In one way, she can wake up in the morning and she doesn't have to take care about meetings or state events. And she can from now on enjoy life. She can paint. She can do everything what she wants to do. So uh, and maybe she can become an archaeologist. Yeah. Because she's very interested in it. And I think it's her dream job. <laughs> maybe she's at the incredible. age of 80, she can start with it. and Maybe.
4: design more clothes for Netflix. Yes, she's ah, great at yes. arts and
3: crafts.
5: Yeah. yeah,
3: Obviously, he's had the preparation, but do you think that Frederick will make a good king, of him? and why?
4: He's
5: well prepared, as I uh, told you. Definitely, he knows what to expect from him. He told people in his uh, speech on the balcony that he wants to be a king to unite people, so he knows what people want. And furthermore, he is popular, and I think it's very important in monarchies uh, in this century. Because it's especially in Denmark, it has a ceremonial function. So people have to like you. Compare it to his brother, Prince uh, Joachim. He's not popular in Denmark. Is he not? No, he's not. He's not. He's he's very controversial.
2: Can I just say, though, Frederick has something that's really important, and he's got a good woman by his side. Behind a good man, there's an even better woman. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone loves Mary. Yes. There's something about Mary. (laughs)
5: <laughs> and in Denmark there's a survey organized by national media, and you can see eight out of ten Danish people support the new King and Queen, and especially Queen Mary is very popular, wow. even more popular than her husband. The I love king.
4: that. That's an amazing approval rating, isn't it? That's incredible. I think can you imagine politicians would kill for that? Mm. Yeah.
5: Yes, I think 86% of the Danes think that Mary fits for this job, and 83% think Frederick. So Mary is more respected, a little <laughs> bit more respected than uh, Frederick. But I think it's a funny thing because I read a remark of a D- Danish colleague who stated they are so popular at this moment that it's dangerous for them because from now on it can only go down for them. So, yeah,
2: <laughs> they've peaked. Yeah, they've peaked. Exactly. Now, final question, Vim. We want to know your opinion about all this. Now, do you think it was the right thing to do, the right moment? Because obviously, there are so many opinions that Christian is still too young. He still hasn't gone to university. He still hasn't had military training. It just seems very last minute. What's generally your opinion?
5: Well, if you compare it to other European countries, King Willem-Alexander in the Netherlands, King Philip in uh, yeah. Belgium, King Philippe in Spain, they became king at the age of 50 plus, minus 60. The new crown princesses were teenagers, young teenagers at that yeah. moment. So it's the right moment, I think, so for uh, King yeah. Frederick to become the new monarch of uh, Denmark. And in the end, I think Queen Margaret took the right decision. She only had a few... I don't have to say yes, uh, so she can enjoy life uh, from now, Mm -hmm. or really do everything what she wants. And Frederick is ready for the job, so let's do it. Yeah, I
2: agree. I actually
4: agree. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Vim. It's really lovely to hear from you on the ground, and we really appreciate you joining us. You've had such a busy weekend. (laughs) You must be exhausted.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much, Vim. It was a
4: pleasure. That was great, wasn't it? It was really interesting, actually. It's really lovely to have those comparisons made with other European royals because you forget yeah. how similar these situations are.
2: I can't believe how popular they are.
4: Yeah, I know. I mean,
2: eighty the eighty percent. I'm yeah. sure
4: our royal family are looking at those stats. Yeah, and what they're
2: doing right, how we taking can
4: notice. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible.
3: You know, it makes me feel a little bit sad for our late queen. Aww. Like she never got to pursue a degree in what? What was it that Margaret is archaeology? Archaeology, archaeology, you know. Archaeology.
4: But she got a lot of time with her horses. Yes.
3: She did, and her Land Rover
2: and Balmoral
3: and Balmoral. I know.
2: Right on to our next guest, Joe Little, editor of Majesty Magazine. Oh, we've been joined by Joe before. Yeah, I'm excited. I love jo. yes.
4: Welcome, Joe. Thank you very much for coming back. We're really happy to have you again.
1: Well, it's very good to be here. So I say good afternoon, Dag. That's my only Ooh, bit of Danish. My God. Oh,
4: I'm very good. Very impressed. impressed.
1: And, and that's good <laughs> afternoon for those who have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs)
4: Well, I'm glad you explained that to us because my Danish is not on point. No,
2: definitely not. Well, I just wanted to know what went through your mind on New Year's Eve when news broke about Queen Margareta's abdication?
1: Well, I was incredibly surprised, you know, as were all the Danes, that nobody saw it coming. She's always said that she never would. So when she announced that she was going and uh, two weeks later, it was a big surprise. It just goes to show you should never say never. I know. Um, and you know, I think it's a good thing in many ways, you know, although uh, it was sad watching her in the carriage on her own waving oh. goodbye to people. Oh. But I, I do think she's done the right thing.
3: And what do you think about how the events over the past few weeks have played out?
1: Well, I mean, it's so very different to the United Kingdom, you know, no coronation, no crowns, no pomp and circumstance, really. So in, in some ways, the Danish royal family is much more informal than her own. But some other occasions where they have banquets and things, they do it in a far grander way than we do nowadays. And that's quite nice. So it's a mixture of 21st century and really 18th century. But I think the way they've done it and the speed at which they've done it is commendable, you know, that it's just their style. You know, they haven't had a crowning for many a moon. And I think it's kind of a a relevant thing to do in the 21st century to... I can't believe the turnaround
3: for it. I mean, I thought she'd announce it and then there'd be three months and then or a they'd arrange <laughs>
2: something. Well, yeah.
1: Well, the fact that seemingly she'd only told her sons three days beforehand, I that I found really quite remarkable. It
2: goes to show, though, if you want to keep a secret, secret, you can. If well, you if really you tell really no one. Literally.
3: Do you think she just woke up one morning, though, and was like, We're done. I'm done. done. What what was the straw that broke the camel's back? I'd love to know. it was
4: the thing that nearly broke her back, I'm guessing. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, she's not been very well.
1: No, no. I mean, she's had health issues for a number of years, mobility and bad back, as Emily says. Had a a significant operation early last year. But prior to that, she's had dodgy knees for for quite a long time. And at receptions in the receiving line, she's been sitting down for quite some time to meet and greet people. So I think age was starting to take its toll. You know, she does have impulsive moments. And we saw that when she suddenly Oof, whipped away yeah. the titles of her younger son's children in what some regarded as a, a rather a, a reckless way, you know, that it could have been done more smoothly, more kindly, perhaps.
2: That was another shock at the beginning of the year. She likes to set off the year with kind of a bombshell.
1: Well, you know, if you've got a New Year's address, you might as well say something. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Keep to. people on their toes. Yeah. things there for yeah. the, like, the end of the year. Yeah, course. Cool. I-
3: curious about that actually if she knew that she was going to abdicate or maybe she didn't why she would do that how early was it that she took away the title last year so in january so a year before
1: yeah just every year i think that she did it and until then they were meant to have the stars and titles until the age of 25 which you think was kind of weird because why leave it till then why not change it when they're all still children and then they can grow up and just be who they are rather than change it when they're in their 20s or whatever. So I think it perhaps was a necessary evil, but it could have been handled in a more diplomatic way. And... You know, Is that clearly, a difference
2: from the UK? Because in the UK, you can't change someone's title. It goes to Parliament. You'd have to go through some quite uh, it's a complicated
1: process, serious yeah. which involves Parliament and the King. Yeah. So, Letters patent and things yeah, like that. So, that. so it can be done, but... Um, yeah, yeah, it's not as easy as... No, a, no. So it was done, I think, it, during the, the First World War that there was a Titles Deprivation Act, which came in because some people with British royal titles were fighting against Britain in the war. So... Uh, you know, that was an exceptional matter. but So it can be done, but not as easily as it was done in Denmark.
2: Now, we've spoken about her health, obviously. Do you think this decision was brought on by her health or do you think she was following on from other European royals such as, you know, Queen Beatrix, King Juan Carlos and King Albert who abdicated when their heirs were in their 50s?
1: I don't think we will ever know that. Although, joining Margareta, as they call her, is quite good media wise. She does give interviews and talk about a lot of personal things. So maybe she will tell us later on. um, She might retire to write a book. Why she did it. Um, Who knows? Mm. knows? um, She's very media friendly. She does lots of TV stuff, which is great if you could understand what she was saying. Yes. You know, why she did it and and when she did it, I'm not sure we ever will really know because some stuff. Even she would regard as as personal that uh, you know there are conspiracy theories in certain circles about why she might have done it when she did it. But I know
2: what you're getting at because I am Spanish. Are you? If you remember, Um, and and I don't know what you're getting at. Can we? (laughs) (laughs) Can can can, can give me an? There were some (laughs) pictures that surfaced of a private trip that the then Prince Frederick made to Madrid to apparently spend the weekend with some friends and go to museums and enjoy some art. But he was pictured in the company of a woman. You trying to tell gossip in a... like no, in a no, non, no. You're no. like
3: fidgeting. I'm you're Spanish, like so obviously
2: I lived all through this. Like right. When it happened, it was quite big. But, so you think it was a bit of a pivot away from I don't know. potential rumours? Obviously the palace, the Danish palace, never really... Said anything? They totally ignored it. Right. And the don't, woman don't complain, involved don't explain. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and the woman involved said that there was nothing right going on. So that is what we know. Something and nothing, really.
4: Another argument is as well that Prince Christian has come of age. Yeah. So she has a situation where she has two heirs. She feels comfortable in making one of them yeah. her successor, and there's still a, another in waiting.
1: And yes, and I think you also have to take into consideration the age of the new king. He's in his mid-50s. She was 31 when her father died. So if you look at that across Europe, it also applies in other countries that we're all living longer, thankfully, but it means that when kings and queens die, their heirs are perhaps in their 50s, 60s, or even 70s, as we've seen here in the United Kingdom. And, you know, that makes life quite difficult on so many levels that There does seem to be a lot of sense in abdication. Yeah. I agree. To just have your final few years in relative peace and comfort and then see how your successor is doing. And it just seems to me to be a very satisfactory decision to make, I think, on on so many levels.
3: Do you think that Queen Margareta will be a tough act to follow?
1: I think after fifty-two years, most definitely, she she was much loved. She was creative. She did all sorts of things. She was quite eccentric at times. Her nickname was Daisy, and um, you know, I I think she was a very popular monarch. Mm. But you know, like all monarchs, uh, you know, including Queen Elizabeth II, time has to move on, and we adapt to the new monarch in the way that we perhaps at the beginning thought we never would. But, you know, like Queen Elizabeth II, I think she is a very hard act to follow, but not impossible, you know, that people 100, 150, 200 years ago will have been saying this about earlier monarchs, so it's just a a natural progression. And
3: Frederick's very popular as well.
1: Frederick is very popular. He's very down-to-earth. He's very sporty. I think younger generations of Danes feel that they can relate to him. He takes part in the Royal Run every year, which is a marathon throughout different parts of Denmark with his family and will continue to do so. So um I think people like that that side of him that there is no pomp and circumstance to him really.
2: Now this weekend it was clear that Mary is the most popular one of the two. I mean the cheers for her when she stepped out Huge. in the balcony were Absolutely huge, do you think he cares?
1: Well, I suppose you could perhaps compare him with prince charles and and right. Diana, and Prince Charles most definitely did care yes but i 'm not sure that Frederick necessarily does i mean again it 's hard to say, but he 's a very emotional guy, and we saw that on his wedding day when he cried as she was walking up the aisle to him. And he was also in tears yesterday, both at the time his mother abdicated and on the the balcony after he was proclaimed or before he was proclaimed. So I think he's a very different character and I think he's very much in love with her. And I I don't think he would resent for one moment the fact that she is far more popular than him and is perhaps regarded as the saviour. Of the Danish monarchy, if a saviour was really needed.
3: The more I hear about Frederick, the more I like him. <laughs> we we're
2: a <laughs> lovely talking, guy.
4: Yeah, we were talking earlier about their approval ratings, which are you know to die for, aren't mm, they? Yeah. You can only imagine any leader getting approval ratings well, like quite, that. Yeah. What I, do you think the secret is?
1: I think perhaps being has been down to earth. I mean, having four relatively normal children, and I think youth is on the side as well. I mean, mm. although they're in their fifties, you know that isn't that isn't old, and and they are young in outlook and fit sporty, you know, they appeal to people on so many levels. So um but you know, we also see that in Sweden mm-hmm. and some of the other European monarchies.
2: I mean Mary hasn't put a foot wrong since she met Frederick and she's learned the language so well. And now they're saying that she even has a Danish accent when she talks English. Which yeah, is just was, just one
4: one Danish journalist we spoke to at the magazine was saying that some Danish people call her King Mary because really? they believe she's the real power behind the throne, <laughs> oh. which I thought was very telling. But she is just very impressive and very likeable. Mm.
1: Yeah, she really has a star quality, a regal quality about her, which we will see in the years to come when she's wearing all the really big sparkly jewels that until now haven't been hers to wear. Oy, nice. So expect a lot of tiara moments in it's, the coming year. It's a big moment for Australia as well, Joe. Massive, yes. So a massive thing that's perhaps a bit over in some of the media that people get confused and think that she's actually the monarch as well. That's her husband. But yes, it is a big deal for for Australia.
3: We're hearing about, now that Margaret has abdicated, all of these wonderful things that she could be doing with her spare time now. And it does make me feel a little bit sad for our late Queen, Elizabeth II, that, you know, she was right there serving her country, working until the day she died. Why do you think she never followed the same path and abdicated?
1: I think even now um, the word abdication at Buckingham Palace is regarded as a swear word. (laughs) Uh Um, The Queen saw what happened to her father when he had to take over from His brother, Edward VIII, when he abdicated in 1936. And the, the late Queen Mother blamed the abdication and her husband's accession on his early death because of the pressures that it put on him. He wasn't trained for the job. It wasn't supposed to be his. So the pressure was immense. And of course, you bring on the Second World War as well. He was a smoker, you know, so that didn't help a heavy smoker and a nervous character. So, you know... Is it unfair to blame Edward VIII? Well, maybe it is. But, you know, had Edward VIII remained on the throne, we wouldn't have had Queen Elizabeth II until 1972, so 20 years later than actually happened. So it had a devastating effect on, on her immediate family. And I think for that reason, if she would never countenance something like that. And, and, and nor would uh, King Charles III, during the coronation, take a, an oath to God and uh, are anointed as Supreme Governor of the Church of England. They take that that contract very seriously. So it's kind of a till death is due part moment for them.
3: So poor Charles had to wait until he was in his 70s. <laughs>
1: Precisely. <you laughs> yeah. know, and that sort of relates to what I was saying earlier about um, there's a lot for abdication, if you can, at a younger age to to give your next in line a chance at it while they're still relatively young.
2: Did the Danish have to swear anything by God? Well, they didn't for the first time no, ever. No, no. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right.
1: So there's only a, a coronation in the UK now. So in the Netherlands, you do swear an oath, variations on a the theme, but it's only really in the UK that there is this... this Church uh, of England. Church of England bond that is confirmed on coronation day. Right.
2: I can't help but think that maybe the royal family were looking closely at how things were done in Denmark this weekend. Do you think Charles would ever contemplate abdication?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean we have to bear in mind that he's only in the second year of his reign. I know. I think it's fairly safe to say that we might just about get a, a silver jubilee for him, but we certainly won't have a golden jubilee or anything more. And and the same in Denmark, we will never have a a golden jubilee for King Frederick X. I just don't think that a new monarch who seems to be fit and healthy would countenance on going. Yeah.
4: One advantage we did talk about though earlier was that the incoming monarch is not dealing with grief and shock, mm. you know, depending on how much warning there has been, and having to go through that transition against such a public process of mourning. I mean, it's arguably a bit more humane, isn't it? It's another for the good person reason involved. for doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Because we saw when uh, Queen Elizabeth II died here how quickly King Charles III had to be up and running mm. within decent haste, really. I, I think it was a tough thing to get him to be back in London meeting, greeting people less than 24 hours after his mother had died. It's tough.
2: Also, we've seen how you can do an accession in two weeks, how simple it can be. Do you think... Prince William, who we know has said that his coronation won't be like his father's. Do you think he was kind of taking notes?
1: I would guess so. I mean, I think if we're around for the coronation of King William V, it will look very different to what we saw last year in every way conceivable. I think whether he will be crowned is debatable. I just think it's going to be a very different sort of spectacle to what we saw which in turn was quite different to, to what took place in 1953. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think that it's William's style to do what his father did. Yeah. And perhaps that isn't a bad thing, you know, that things have to modernise. By the same token, if you make things too ordinary, then what's the point? Yeah. You can dumb things down too much.
3: It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I always had the impression that the British royal family required the pomp and circumstance to get people interested and to sort Mm. of show that they were royal. And obviously the Danish are doing it, showcasing that that doesn't actually have to be the only way. And you still get support because there was almost no fanfare and there was crowds of people and... Yeah. And they were really sported.
4: I think they had nice touches, though, didn't they? They had the processions, the carriages and the horses.
3: But no pomp. tea towels, Emily. Not a tea towel <laughs> You
4: love a tea <laughs> towel, Emily. Oh, my <laughs> word. Well,
1: well it wasn't really time to do the tea towels. Exactly. Go, exactly. Get, pop over next month and I'm sure you'll get a tea towel or two. With, <laughs> yeah. I was actually
2: watching Spanish TV over the weekend because they're really into their oils. And they were saying how funny it is that in Denmark... For the last two weeks, there has been practically nothing. There were no people, no camping, whilst two weeks before the coronation in the UK, everyone was already camped out. but, yeah. but uh, you was know, well,
4: summertime as well, though. That, yeah, that, quite was a difference. <laughs> that is a really yeah, that good is point. Yeah.
2: But it just goes to show how popular they are, yet it's just so different from what we have with our royals.
1: Well, even watching the processions yesterday, no barriers, mm. not too many police. In the square outside of malian Ball, when they did the balcony appearance late in the afternoon, no barriers, police just moving people around, yeah. very quite laid back, but orderly. It's very different, yeah. but, you know... The weather, of course, does make yeah. a huge difference.
2: Our previous guest actually was saying how he was in one place before and then he went to the palace. And I was like, how did you even move? Like in London, you would not be able to move from wherever you were for I mean, like hours. our colleague hours. literally couldn't get to
3: where he needed to be because yeah. he was on the wrong side of the road. And that was yeah. it, yeah. yeah.
2: I do have a question because we know how close the royal families are, like, you know, the Swedish and the Norwegian and the Danish. Do you think this puts pressure on the Swedish royals and the Norwegian royals? We've already had King Gustav of Sweden say, no, I have Mm. no plans in abdicating, but it does kind of you know, get the conversation out there how good of an idea. Because it kinda of shows them what yeah. they're potentially missing. Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I think certainly Norway is the prime candidate for an abdication, but it's complicated in Norway. The king's in his mid eighties, he's not in the best of health, yeah. but he keeps having to go into hospital. But the complication there is that the Crown Princess of Norway I know. has a very serious illness. Yeah. And um so clearly if her husband were to become king that passed more pressure on the on new her. king and on her as well, and it's a very fine balancing act as to how that one should be played out.
2: And obviously King Gustav of Sweden is in perfect health.
1: Seems to be, so I don't think think he'll move on anytime soon.
2: I do love Princess Victoria of Sweden, I have to say. I can't wait for that. my my doppelganger. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, Victoria's children are still quite young. Very young. So perhaps give them a few more years just to get them a little bit more grown up. It's a happy balance.
2: Now, obviously you saw the events play out this weekend. Can I ask what your favourite moment was or what surprised you the most?
1: I was emotional, surprisingly, when I saw the Queen drive out in a carriage from her palace and wave goodbye to her people. So that I found quite moving. And and also very moving the way that she left the Council of State, mm. that um, she signed her document of abdication, she stood up, beckoned for the new King to take her place, which he did, and then She said, God save the king in Danish and turned on her heels, practically in tears and and walked out of the room. So so I I thought that was... uh,
3: and got on a plane to the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> if, if only they were, they
1: were out and about this morning in yeah. snowy um, Copenhagen. So, uh, right,
3: it yeah. was miserable weather. They today. were so they, lucky they with lucked the weather out yesterday. yesterday.
1: Mm. They really did. Yeah. The, really
3: the did. fact that people came out in force for them in freezing
2: <laughs> weather is a big. Yeah, it really well, speaks volumes. Prince of Denmark was it?
1: on the streets of Copenhagen yesterday, yeah. by the looks of things.
2: Obviously, his brother, Prince Frederick's brother, Prince. Joachim was, if that's how you pronounce it, sorry, I'm really bad. Joachim, 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 yeah. Joachim, was with him by his side, and we saw a beautiful behind the scenes video yesterday shared on social media where he looked on as he went out into the balcony with, obviously, Princess Mary, Queen Mary. I can't get used to that, sorry. And their four children. What do you think about his situation with his brother?
1: I think it's probably unchanged, I mean, I think perhaps his relationship with his mother was a bit fractious for a while because of what she did to his children, and of course some of the blame was pointed in the direction of Crown yeah. Prince Frederick because of the future of the Danish monarchy, so, you know, whether that's fair or not, I don't know, but I think brothers do grow apart as they get older, yeah. and we've seen that in the United Kingdom, so yeah, yeah. Um, it does happen, and of course uh, Joachim nowadays is living in Washington with his wife, second wife and children. So, so the dynamics are very different, but yet he's still there to support his yeah. his brother now, the king, when, when necessary.
2: I love that though. They obviously have their problems, but he was there on the day. You know, he watched it all happen. Do you think we'll ever get to that in the UK?
1: You'd really like to hope so, but you know, there is no sign of that happening anytime oh. soon. But what do we know? You yeah. know that. But the, the signs are that that isn't something that will be happening. Yeah, King um, didn't
3: write a memoir. Not yet. Not yet.
1: (laughs) So never say never, as I said earlier, you know, that stranger things have been known to happen, but no sign of it happening anytime soon.
2: Thank you so much, Joe, for coming. It's always such a great... Lovely to be here again. Lovely to chat to you. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back on again very soon, if you can bear it.
1: I'll brace myself. (laughs) 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 Thanks for
5: coming. Thank
3: you. Thank you. Oh, it's always lovely talking to Joe, isn't
2: it? I loved our chat.
4: He is such a font of knowledge. It's great to have him on the show again.
2: And it was great talking to him about all the other European royals especially the ones that are still there holding on to the throne you're like trying to tempt them all into abdicating well i would be tempted i would be tempted to enjoy a nice life in my 80s away from the spotlight good for margaretta with her arts and crafts you know she's just doing
3: some paper mache right now without a care in the world
2: i hope so i hope so have the best time margaretta if you're listening enjoy (laughs) go get a cocktail you earned it right and up next we've got chris ship who you know very well emily I do. Chris and I have travelled on many a royal
4: tour and it's absolutely brilliant to be able to say hi to him. He's dialing in from Copenhagen where he has been covering this whole moment in history for ITV News. So I can't wait to hear what he has to Amazing. say.
2: Amazing. Welcome, Chris. Welcome.
4: Thank you so much for joining us, Chris, after a very busy weekend. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen?
0: Do you know what? It's been really interesting learning about a different royal family like you M, we cover our lot as I call them all the time. And it's been really interesting seeing some of the similarities. And of course, there are similarities when it comes to royal families, but also some of the differences. And it's been a really interesting experience, actually. And I kind of think, and we'll talk about the abdication and everything, I'm sure, in due course. But I kind of think looking at our royal family, shift it all on 10 years and you've kind of got what they've got here, like the, the queen who's stepped down was 83. The crown prince, now king, is in his mid-50s. And the new crown prince, his eldest son, is 18. So it's kind of, if you think of King Charles, Prince William and Prince George, in 10 years' time, that's kind of how it felt to me.
4: Mm -hmm. So a bit of a glimpse into the future, potentially.
0: Potentially. And then there's all these questions about abdicating and is that the right thing to do? And I know talking to a lot of Danes, once they got over the shock of Queen Margrethe, Abdicating, they all thought, you know what, that's just the right idea. Like she's 83, she deserves a bit of time on her own in retirement. Why should you do this job until you die? And it's kicked off a bit of a debate in other northern European monarchies, like in Sweden and Norway, where their kings are kind of, I think one in Sweden, he's late 70s, and in Norway, he's mid 80s.
2: We've talked to other guests and it's come up how incredibly popular Frederick and Queen Mary are. Did you feel that this weekend whilst there?
0: Absolutely. They've got approval ratings in excess of 80%. And you kind of can feel that on the streets. And obviously, look, if you're going to go to a royal palace and cheer someone standing on a balcony for 10 minutes, you're not going to be a Republican. So like, obviously, everyone around me was very supportive of the royal family. But every other anecdotal conversation I've had with anyone else, taxi drivers, hotels, people in cafes, everyone loves their queen or the ex-queen as she was now. And Queen Margreda to Danish people is a bit like Queen Elizabeth was to many Brits, long-serving, well-respected, much-loved, the kind of mother of the nation. And, and many people felt a moment of emotion on Sunday when she signed that abdication paper, got out of the chair and just said, there you go, son, over to you. You're now the king.
3: But was the general feeling that it was a good move on her behalf? Because I feel like, I know this is just speculating, but if the late Queen had abdicated, I wonder whether in the UK people would be a little more devastated. It sounds like it was much more positive in Denmark.
0: Listen, so she does this annual New Year's Eve message, uh, which is a really odd time to do it when you think about it, isn't it? Everyone's partying on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And so many people kind of said to me, look, we, no, we all watch this. We kind of build our New Year's Eve parties around it. Perhaps like we did in the 50s if we cooked our Christmas dinner around the 3 p.m. Christmas Day message. But literally everyone here watches the Queen's message. It's also done live, whereas our Christmas broadcasts for many years have been pre-recorded in mid-December. The New Year message is done live and nobody... Apart from maybe the crown prince who we hear was told three days before, nobody had any idea that she was going to do this. And plenty of people nearly dropped their cocktail glasses and, you know, the whole nation kind of inhaled breath as she announced that she was stepping down. Because she, like our queen, had always said, I'm going to go on to the very end. I'm going to reign for my entire life. And uh, it was a surprise to everybody. But I'm getting to the point. Once they got used to that, they kind of thought, you know what, this is a really sensible idea. You know, who wants some? King Frederick as he is now to be 70 or 80 when he takes over 55 is a good age and his oldest child is 18 it all kind of fits together quite well.
2: Did you have to brush up on your Danish royal history before flying over there? Because when this bombshell dropped, did you think, oh, my God, I'm going to Denmark, I need to... Crack out a family tree. (laughs) Yeah, not
0: immediately. No, I mean, I don't think we at ITV cover European royals probably as much as European royals cover our royal family. I think we'll all Mm. agree that we've got the most famous royal family in the world. Uh, And I kind of thought, well, that's quite interesting. We may or may not go, who knows? And then I think just people got more and more interested, particularly because you've got this... Queen Mary Angle, Mm. born in Australia. You know, all the British newspapers are claiming her as Scottish because her parents are Scottish. (laughs) They lived in a little village just east of Edinburgh. So I suppose her blood is Scottish from her two parents, but she was born in Hobart in Tasmania. And my, I mean, the Australian broadcasters, haven't they loved this story? I mean, (laughs) They are all over the place. Their breakfast shows yesterday, so this was on the evening of the coronation or proclamation, which was Monday morning in Australia. They were wall to wall, Queen Mary, Queen Mary, Queen Mary. We now have an Aussie on the throne in a (laughs) European country and they absolutely love the story. So I think there's that extra dimension that has made everyone much more interested in this.
2: Were you there when they came out on the balcony and everyone cheered more for Mary than they did for Frederick?
0: I was there and I basically pushed my way as far as I could in the crowd, but you know, Danish people are really tall. I mean, I'm six foot (laughs) um, but the trouble is you're surrounded by people who are like six foot three and six foot four. So from the distance, I just heard lots of cheers. I couldn't honestly tell you that Mary got bigger cheers than her husband, the king. It just sounded like lots of people were cheering all the time and I could see them in the distance on the balcony. And there were plenty, you know, along with all the the red and white Danish flags, there were plenty of Australian flags all over the place. Actually, I met one Australian, it was a grandmother and granddaughter, who'd only decided last week on Wednesday that they would come to this specifically for this. Flew all the way through. I think one was in Brisbane. Uh, yeah, and they literally uh, on, decided on Wednesday they would come and uh, there they were, sat outside the Royal Palace at 10 o'clock in the morning. Don't forget, it's freezing here. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone sort of sitting out for six hours waiting for them to appear on the balcony for five minutes, I mean, that shows a level of dedication.
4: That is. We were saying earlier, and obviously Chris, you covered the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla last year. We had a lot more time to plan for that and it felt like quite a long run-up, but Things have been done very quickly in
0: Denmark. Why do you think that was? Look, they've only had two and a half weeks to plan all of this. So because the former queen, or she's still called queen actually. So currently Denmark's got two queens because they haven't taken the title Her Majesty the Queen away from the living queen. So anyway, let's call her Queen Margrethe still. She only made this announcement to the whole country. Perhaps she might have told the prime minister a few hours before. So they've had literally 14 days to plan everything. There was a big concert on Friday night that both the two main broadcasters here, DR1 and TV2, they both simulcast this big concert. She, interestingly, was watching it and gave a sort of thank you live at the end of the concert. Imagine crossing to Buckingham Palace to see King Charles and Camilla sat there watching and tapping away and saying thank you very much. But I think a lot of people were really moved and that the fact that they're kind of saying goodbye to the mother of the nation, that's why so many people were kind of moved and watched this in the way in which they did on Sunday. And they did a lot in a very short space of time. But, you know, as you were just hinting out there, it was Really simple compared to our one, wasn't it? It Like literally sign a bit of paper, go up the stairs, wave to everyone, say some nice things in a microphone, get in a carriage. They didn't even sit in the thrones. They have two thrones. I saw them. And they have crowns. And the only time they get the crown out is if the monarch dies and they put the crown on the coffin so they didn't even wear any crowns. Now, you compare that to what we had with the uh, St. Edward's crown and the imperial state crown and the robes and the velvet. And, and all the resizing. Do remember, um, Emily doing about the chairs of state? It was the, oh, yeah. One's the chair of estate and one's the chair of state. And we're all trying to get our heads around that. The, 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 yeah, the St. Edward's chair. The
4: robes of state and estate. Maybe we exactly. did go a and bit overboard,
0: guys. <laughs> Just
4: maybe. <laughs> this is a tap much.
0: So I kind of think you could actually do our thing in a bit more of a simple way. And they kept with tradition here. And I went into the palace, into Christian Ball's palace a sort of day before. I was even in the room, you know, the room where they sort of came out onto the balcony, I think Mm -hmm. the equivalent in Buckingham Palace is called the centre room. You know, they just let us wander in there and film that kind of level of informality. Yeah. The head of the castle came and spoke to us. He was wearing a T-shirt with a corduroy jacket and a pair of trainers.
2: Oh, my God, that would not be allowed at Buckingham Palace. So I just thought that that informality
0: through the whole system, from the way in which they did the proclamation all the way down to the staff who come and let you in. I mean, nobody even checked my passport when I went in. I could have just said, oh, I'm from British TV. I could have been anyone. And there's so much informality here. I think that's the thing that you really do feel is very different to our lot. Mm -hmm.
3: Not so much the lack of security, but, (laughs) but do you think our royal family are watching this unfold and taking notes
0: to proceed in the future, like for Prince William's accession, perhaps? I've thought about this quite a lot myself, actually, and I was wondering whether, you know, looking at a 50-ish year old king, I think he's 55 and his wife is early 50s, whether or not, you know, what we saw last May kind of suited King Charles and Queen Camilla because of their age, you know, he's 75 now, 74 at the time. I just wonder whether that would have suited William and Kate if that was their coronation and whether or not... And I've kind of got this sense from some of their staff whether or not they would do things a little bit differently. And I'm sure they were looking at what it looked like here because mm. it just felt more modern. It felt more at one with the times in which we live rather than, you know, a coronation that would befit Queen Victoria or King William the Fourth. you know?
4: Yeah, totally agree. Absolutely. And we know William's keen to modernise even more. So, yeah, I bet they did have a close look.
0: Yeah, and he's probably got a mandate to modernise more than his father just because of his age and and, and all the rest of it. I've often wondered, well, whether, and I said earlier about moving everything forward 10 years to where they were in Denmark, would King Charles say after 10 years, you know what, I'm mid-80s now, William's in his mid-50s, Prince George has just come of age, why don't we do an abdication? In other words, has Queen Margrethe set a new standard for a way of doing royal?
4: Yeah, he could retire to spend more time laying hedges or the various other things foraging saving (laughs) Saving the environment
0: do you know she's got a very very interesting hobby Queen Margrethe she actually does set design and costume design and she's up for an award for something that she's designed that's on Netflix at the moment that she herself has designed and everyone in Denmark is saying "Oh, I'm so glad that she's going to have more time to do her set designing and it's a bit like us saying as you said I'm so glad the king can go off and lay some hedges and uh, plant some more wild flowers
3: We were saying earlier, though, that obviously a big part of the British royal family is that you become head of the Church of England and you are making a vow to God that you'll serve until you die. Do you think the British royal family won't abdicate in the future because of that fact, whereas the Danish don't quite have the same vows?
0: Yes, I do think that is the one big difference is that obviously our monarch is also the supreme governor of the Church of England. Mm. uh, And therefore you have this kind of religious aspect. But, you know, here there was no anointing with holy oil, as I said earlier, they didn't wear crowns or sit in their thrones. But, you know, it's not impossible to abdicate. I mean, King Edward VIII proved it's possible to abdicate. It might not be very popular, but um, I wondered if it was done in the right way, whether or not that is something they might consider. And the, the logical conclusion of that is if in the Western world we are living into way into our 90s, perhaps even a 100, do we want our heads of state to be 100 years old, not able to travel, not necessarily able to engage. And when you think back to what we had before the passing of the Queen and Prince Charles was doing a lot of stuff for her, we almost had a regency, didn't we, Emily? We had the King standing in for the Queen at the state opening of Parliament. We had him doing all the official travel Mm -hmm. overseas. And you do wonder whether or not if a monarch decides I can't do the job, which I think was what Margrethe had decided. She's had some back operations recently and walks with a stick. If she thought, you know, if I can't properly do the job and give it everything I want to give it, the best thing for the country is to hand over to yeah. my son. Mm, yeah. yeah. And not to keep reigning until I die. I just think it's fascinating. And it's really opened up a whole debate about what European monarchies should do. I
4: think you're right. I think it's something we wouldn't have contemplated in this country. But when you see it done the way it's been done, it does make you think, well, what's wrong
2: with that? It's applying logic to the situation. But the late situation. queen also was very cautious about not showing that side. I mean, I think it was she opened the Elizabeth line. But
3: well, Chris is right, or, though. Or, you know, or was,
2: Chelsea Flower Show. She attended with this little motor vehicle. Like, she'd never really would show that side of her? She- no, and I think that, you know, there is a question of dignity as well. As you yeah. say,
4: if Margretta's having mobility issues, to coin a phrase that I think probably still sends shiver down your spine. Chris? A few times. Yeah, yes, yeah. Then you can understand why yeah. she might choose to step back and not do that publicly.
2: I wonder, Chris, because you've been there and you've spoken to so many Danish people. Was there ever another option of why she's done this? Have they questioned her decision? Because I know, obviously, in the European press, there's been a lot of talk about other motives or what could have happened. But are the Dane's just happy that she's done it and they're happy with Frederick.
0: Is this a delicate way of you asking me about those photos in Madrid? No, it is, Chris. (laughs) not very delicate. No, no, it wasn't.
2: She's she's as subtle (laughs) as a flying brick. It was (laughs) so (laughs) obvious. She is Um, Spanish. um, I'm Spanish, so I've had to put up with a lot of this chat, I'm afraid.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, listen, and I I've had this conversation as well with people that I've interviewed and everything else. The view, really, from Denmark, there's two things here. One is it's a very Scandinavian view. It's like, we don't know what he was doing there. That's their business. It's their private life. There's no proof that anything happened. Yeah. Yes, he was photoed with this Mexican socialite, but there's no proof But that that's their business, nothing to do with us. And I just don't think our tabloid press would have let it go. Now, no I way. spoke to a journalist here who said... He's aware of some conversations in some newspapers and broadcasters, whether or not to mention it at all, not to report it, etc. Now, that shows you the kind of level of respect that they have for the royal family. But should they be reporting things that the rest of the world can read? I think we'd all probably agree that free press is important and they should. But it's a very kind of Scandinavian view. Do you know what? That's not our business. That's their business. And I think the second point to this question is that they've got so many brownie points in the bank. So yeah. their credit, if you like, with the Danish people is so high, so bountiful, that even if you know they lost a couple of coins from this particular episode, no one was bothered one bit. And I haven't met a single Dane that's completely, yeah. you know, in, in, in one bit, bothered by it at all.
2: Yeah, Andrea. am I Sorry, business? sorry. I do have another one. <laughs> fine, we'll, we'll just forget about that. I follow the European royals a lot. At Hello, we write about them a lot. You know, I've spoken to Emily and Emmy a lot about how I love the way they do their business, how open they are, especially with social media and just how different they are to our royals. Have you felt that whilst there? Like, have you thought, oh, I wish we had a bit more of this back in Britain? Or do you just not think it's possible because our previous guest said, you know, our royal family is just universally known, followed. It's just a completely different
0: thing. I think you need the right monarch for the right time and I think Queen Elizabeth II was the right monarch for the right time and and currently we have a king who is, you know, uh, still pretty old and I mean he's 75. He's just had his birthday, didn't he, in November. I do think that the family here just has less formality. Although some journalists were telling me that they're much more closed off when it comes to examining their finances. You know, Emily, how oh, many yeah. you trot into the palace to hear the keeper of the public oh, purse every it. year run through every the public year. finances. <laughs> and everyone says, and everyone says, oh, there's not enough information here. It's not open enough. Apparently in Denmark, it's even less open th- oh, than that's that. Very so interesting. It's yeah, it's kind of, you know, kept a little bit all wrapped up. And I spoke to a couple of Republicans here who saying, look, don't forget this royal family, they might not wield power, but they're plugged into the government. You know, They have meetings with the prime minister, all the family associate with these sort of Lego heiress millionaires. They've got a massive shipping conglomerate here called Mersk. Mm. They hang out with all the, the people from that business as well and the Carlsberg empire, et cetera. Oh, wow. I often think Denmark's had quite a lot of exports, haven't they? Lego, Mersk, Carlsberg, Joe and the Juice. You didn't know if you were no, uh, drinking the Jonah the Juice in London. That's Danish. And I just think that this Republican was saying, you know, don't go, go under the misapprehension. This family doesn't wield any power. They wield a lot of power. But then they also do a lot of good things. I've just, I was doing an interview today with somebody that organises the Royal Run. It's an annual run. It started when the then Crown Prince Frederick was turning 50. And the boss said, look, when he celebrated his 50th birthday, he didn't want it to be about fancy dinners and big engagements and receptions in the palace. He wanted to do something for the people and set up this royal run and takes part in it himself so if you go and google it you see a picture of the now king running along in his shortened t-shirts now do we want king charles to be doing that question mark that's up to your listeners but you know know, i kind of think okay if king charles did have something like this he would maybe turn up and fire the starting pistol but he wouldn't be running on the track in his shortened t-shirt so i kind of think there's that level of Accessibility. The people find their royals here very relatable. I think I'm absolutely sure that people at Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace might want to take a few notes. Chris. I
4: agree. One last question. Can you just tell us, can you sum up what the atmosphere was like there? Was there a highlight for you?
0: Oh my god, there's so many highlights here actually. Just being in Denmark. It's such a friendly country. It's really, really like fascinating. It is kind of cold and dark at this time of year, but they're all Vikings. They just get on with it. They're really, really hardy people. And I think that does feed into their royal family as well it's part of their dna so yeah of course the highlight was basically seeing how many people turned up in front of the christiansborg palace and you know in every direction i looked it's difficult to compare it to buckingham palace emily because we just got the the mall haven't mm-hmm. we in like then parks everywhere but you could see in every single direction and the bridge that we came over in order to walk there by the time i you know half an hour later you couldn't get any closer in in every direction there were crowds and you really did get a sense of kind of warmth and love for a family. How can you love a family you don't know? That's always a question people ask us about the royals, but just a lot of respect for this family. And it was really nice being part of this moment, chatting to Danes. They all speak perfect English, of course, all waving their red and white flags. It was really enjoyable, a pleasure to cover it. Oh,
2: amazing. I've loved it. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Chris, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat to us. Um, I know you have to catch a flight, but thank you. And do you want to give us a clue when your show is going
4: to air as well? Oh, I want to watch that.
0: So we've done a couple of news reports for, for the bulletins on Friday and Sunday, but we've, we've got a, a series called On Assignment, which is like uh, stories from abroad for a simple phrase, a bit like um, from our own correspondent on Radio 4. When we just go and tell a story from overseas. So um it's going out in a couple of weeks' time. Amazing. Amazing. We'll look out Check for that. Out. We'll look
2: out. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris. Have a safe flight. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, guys. I've loved chatting to Chris. I feel like he's absolutely exhausted, but it feels like he's had a great weekend with the Danes. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to have someone who's worked so
4: closely with the Royals, this side.
2: Yeah, experience that. Making those comparisons, yeah, Yeah, because there
4: are similarities, but they just do do a lot in a very different way.
2: They're so different, but I love them. I love the European Royals. Sad he had to go catch a flight. Yes. Couldn't have chatted to him for
3: a lot longer. (laughs) We'll get him
4: back.
2: We'll get him back.
3: That's everything from us today. Thank you so much to all of our guests and to you too for joining us. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, catch more from Hello with our news and entertainment show, The Daily Lowdown, available on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. bye. Bill. That's that's bye in Danish. <laughs> bye bye. bye.